0: Delicious dishes and generous sizes that really satisfy the appetite. So come hang with the sports crowd at Rapidus. It's the tastiest place in town.
1: Welcome to Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. When you think of Kentucky football, there's one name that is head and shoulders above the rest. His high school career solidified him as a legend in Kentucky and on the national scene as well. He always thought of himself as a basketball player with the intentions of playing college basketball, but basketball competed in the spotlight as he rose to national prominence in high school as a football player. The New York Times and Sports Illustrated came to Eastern Kentucky to cover the hype. He broke national records on his way to play football for the University of Kentucky. Along with his laid back college coach and air raid sirens ringing through Commonwealth Stadium in the later part of the 90s, records were being shattered as a rejuvenated fan base celebrated the success of Kentucky football. College football was seeing what Eastern Kentucky knew a few years prior. But while this quarterback and his team enjoyed success, tragedy struck that shook the very core of his team however he pressed through leading up to being a finalist for the Heisman. He wore number two on the field, became a number one NFL draft pick, but in the hearts of the Big Blue Nation, the Deuce will always be number one. It's the story every boy in Eastern Kentucky dreams of, from the moment that boy can pick up a ball, the dream always stays the same. Tim Couch was that boy who made his dreams come true. This is Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's, and part one with his guest, Tim Couch.
0: I'm growing up in Leslie County, it's a good old mountain community. At what age did you start thinking, you know, I could someday play on TV on Sunday?
2: Um, you know, I was just kind of always the kid that thought that he was going to make it to the, you know, to be a professional athlete. I just felt like I was, that's what I was born to do. And, um, you know, from an early age, you know, just competing with against kids my age, I was so much bigger than everyone else, and faster, and just more um, coordinated and skilled. And you know, I recognized that at a really early age, probably fourth, fifth grade. Um, but you know, in my in my mind, I did have some doubt because I just assumed it was because I grew up in a small town and I was just a little bit bigger than everyone else. But you know, then I started going to as I got in like seventh, eighth grade, I started going to camps around the country, and I was still doing the same thing. So I kind of realized it at that point.
0: When I was growing up, a few years before you. We were sort of led to believe by newspapers and Lexington Global that for some reason we weren't as good right. a person as a non mountain kid. That, you know, we didn't have the intellect or we didn't have the yeah. wither with all to succeed. Mm-hmm. And, and I think over time, a lot of young people never achieved it because they feared failure.
2: I think so. I think that's very true. Um, I heard the same things. You know, a lot of people, you know, especially early in my high school career when I was a freshman and sophomore and people were starting to talk about me. I, did, I really didn't have the respect, even in Lexington. You know, people were saying, oh, he just he plays in a little small school in the mountains and he can't do that against these Lexington schools. And So I heard all that too. And, you know, it can definitely uh, make you second guess yourself. But I think I had so much exposure going around to camps and stuff, which really made me believe in myself because I was competing against kids from all over the country. And, you know, I was winning MVP of all these camps that I would go to football and basketball and um you know so i i I didn't i never really doubted myself but i think you know a lot of people did
0: i remember when you were in the seventh grade uh a couple of my friends and your friends uh jackie crawford yeah and todd uh sure uh, jackie he said there's a seventh grade kid over here it's gonna be the best thing that's ever come out of the mountains and even the state and I said, Jackie, you know, I, I know you're football, <laughs> right, you know first line of but in the seventh grade, a little bit early to put that designation on a kid, yeah, uh, it, it, but he was, but he was ran,
2: yeah, you know, uh you know when I was in seventh grade, um that's when I started playing on the varsity teams in football and basketball, I was um I played quite a bit, uh, you know, in basketball in seventh grade. I was, you know, probably about the sixth or seventh man on the team. I would come in and, you know, started on the JV team and stuff. Then I started as a JV quarterback. My brother was a starter on the varsity, so I backed him up uh, in seventh and eighth grade. Um, You know, so I was – you know, getting uh, you know, getting a lot of good exposure to some competition. You know, playing at a, you know, obviously a step up, and uh, you know, so I think that really helped me a lot too. So when I took over, my brother graduated um, as I was coming. He was a senior when I was in eighth grade, so I came in as a freshman, and I felt like I'd already played two years. You know, of varsity ball, so I, I felt like I, I I hit the ground running pretty well.
0: What was it like growing up in in Leslie County? Uh... Uh, as far as your childhood what all did you do during the summer did you, were there any classes you particularly liked in school were you uh were you
2: uh <laughs> I wasn't very I wasn't very much into school uh to be honest um I was just all about you this know,
0: is a good day to be honest by yeah right. yeah exactly
2: um you know it, it it just never was my thing you know I was uh I guess I would say I was a student who did what he had to do to get by you know I was Never, you know, I didn't have a problem learning or anything like that. I just, just wasn't, I just wasn't, I'd rather be playing ball or doing something like that. Um, But, uh, you know, just, you know, the summers, you know, growing up there and it's just, uh, it's a great community to grow up in. You know, very small town, obviously a town of 350 people in Hyden where I grew up and uh, you know, I knew everyone and just, uh, you know, a lot of good people. So I just uh, you know had so many friends around. That's what I remember the most is all my friends and I, as soon as school was out, we would go somewhere and play some sport, you know, and we our parents would have to yell at us to come in at night. And you was so different. You know, my kids and, you know, a lot of kids nowadays, they all want to be on the iPads and the iPhones. And it's hard to get them to go play outside. And I remember when we were growing up, it was hard to get us to come inside because, you know, especially growing up in and we, we didn't have really anything to do besides, you know, play basketball or football.
0: There was just you and Greg in the family as far as children. Uh, How was it growing up? roughly four years apart did he pick on you or did oh, you pick on goodness. him
2: no well he he used to beat me to death he really did uh, until uh, until when I, when I was in seventh grade i hit about six foot three and that's when he stopped messing with me um, <laughs> you know so i grew pretty quick and uh, but before then he used to beat up on me pretty bad and my brother is a big guy too he's about six two you know he's you know athletic play quarterback at eastern uh, you know so we just you know typical brothers we we would fight and almost tear the house down mom would be yelling at us all the time and Having to fix stuff, we'd break as we were wrestling around, knocking stuff over. But we had a, you know, just a great childhood. Greg was an awesome older brother, set a good example for me, and you know, in every way, he was a great role model in every way to how to carry myself and you know how to treat people, and you know, obviously as an athlete as well.
0: I know you both like athletics, but did you get into hunting, fishing, any other activities like that? You
2: know, surprisingly, Gregor, I neither one ever did. You know, all of our buddies were hunters and you know, they would they'd love to go fishing and I would fish a little bit, but I just I just never really got into it, which is pretty rare for you know, for back there. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: yeah. And and so you get into high school and like you said, you started going to some of the camps. Where was the first place you went to as forced camps outside of Kentucky?
2: You know, I think, um trying to think where the camp was. I think I was in eighth grade, and there was a blue chip basketball camp. It may have been in Tennessee or somewhere like that. Uh, but I remember going to that camp, and I I won MVP of that of that camp. And I started getting recruiting. I got my first letter I ever got. I remember um, I was in eighth grade, and they brought it to my classroom. It was from Minnesota, Clem Haskins.
0: Oh, is that right? Yeah, that was yeah. my first
2: recruiting letter. It was a basketball letter in eighth grade. And, um, you know, because at that point I was already a pretty big kid, and I was, you know, playing on the varsity. So I had, you know, it was kind of, word was starting to spread around a little bit. But I was, you know, definitely started in basketball, the recruiting process. And then, you know, my freshman year, football started getting recruited. Then sophomore even more than my junior year, it just really blew up.
0: At what stage did you start leaning in the direction of football, because yeah. your junior year in in high school in basketball, you, you scored a few <laughs> points.
2: Yeah, you know, I'll tell you, Oscar, I, I, I considered myself a basketball player until I got to college. You know, I, th- I didn't know which one I wanted to play. I had a ton of offers in both sports from, from major universities. Uh, you know, obviously, in football is the number one recruit in the country. Um, but in basketball, I'm, I wasn't that highly recruited, but I had a lot of major Division one scholarship offers, you know, to play both sports. Was and- it tempting to – well, very much so. You know, I came to Kentucky to play both sports. That was the plan. You know, Rick was, uh, you know, Patino was here, and they were going to let me, you know, just walk on and play basketball as well. And that was kind of one of the selling points that they sold me uh, when I got here. But, um, uh, you know, I, just, I, didn't, uh, I didn't realize how, how difficult that was going to be and to, you know, take a full schedule of classes and, you know, be a quarterback of an SEC football team and then, then try to go play basketball on a team like Kentucky. I mean, it was almost impossible.
0: And there were a few other... Uh, issues that happened that first year here. I'm sure oh, yeah. that cluttered your mind from it one did. end to the other.
2: Yeah, you know, I think that's really what kind of slowed everything down And because I, I thought I was going to transfer, you know. Halfway through the year, Coach Curry gets fired, and um, I'm thinking, you know, I'm probably going to transfer down to Tennessee where I'd originally committed to um, uh, before before I ended up coming to Kentucky. Um, but, you know, that, that that season was just a long year, a brutal year. So, uh, at that point, I was really just thinking, you know, how am I going to get out of here?
0: Uh, I believe you went to one of the Auburn camps once where Tommy Bowden was at. I did, yep. And all of a sudden, I'll never forget a friend of mine who was a photographer, said, hey, you know this kid named Tim Couch? And I said, yeah. And he said, I've been uh, commissioned to go up and uh, shoot a spread on him that we're running into paper. Mm -hmm. And I said, what paper is? He said, the New York Times. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I said, (laughs) the New York Times? He said, yeah. Yeah. And uh, I said, well. Not only have you made it big time, but he's made it big time too. <laughs> you're making the New York Times. Nice. And suddenly your name just went everywhere.
2: It did. There were, there were a few things like that that happened. Uh, New York Times article was a big one for me. And then um, Sports Illustrated came my senior year, and they did a four or five page spread on me. And they followed me around to all my classes, practices. They went to the games with me. Now, for how years.
0: long was it following you to classes?
2: uh they they got they I think they're in for a little bit of a surprise there like this kid doesn't go to (laughs) me but no they uh I I just remember that once that article came out you know and that was when I was right on the verge of breaking all the national passing records and all that stuff so um you know the exposure was already there but you know anytime you get into Sports Illustrated especially as a high school kid and it really takes off the publicity
0: despite your popularity and everybody's interest it seemed like that your attention was always focused to that line that divided Kentucky and Tennessee.
2: Oh, yeah. You know, where I grew up in that part of the state, you're either one. And,
0: and Leslie County is sort of the part of Kentucky yes. that starts leading Orange and football in
2: particular. You're exactly right. There are a lot of Tennessee football fans in Leslie County. I mean, you know, a lot of people say, you know, down there, I grew up like that. I was Kentucky basketball fan and a Tennessee football fan. And, um, you know, cause at that time, Kentucky football was awful. I mean, they were, I mean, they won one game the year before I got, before I signed. Um, so it was bad. It was a bad brand of football. You know, they're just running the option. It was boring. They weren't winning, um, You know, so the the era I grew up in just watching games, I grew up more of a Tennessee fan and, you know, grew up just as close to Knoxville as I did to Lexington, really, from from Leslie County there. So, um, you know, I I took more visits there, just unofficial visits. I'd pop down there and go to, you know, practices and, you know, go to games and stuff. So I got really close with uh, David Cutcliffe, uh, the offensive coordinator at the time, and, you know, Coach Fulmer, obviously, and, you know, Randy Sanders was there and, uh, that that whole staff. So I got really, really close to those guys. And, you know, that's uh, truly where I, I, I was actually surprised that uh, I didn't end up there.
0: Uh, I remember one of the games I came up to, Leslie County. I, I believe you were playing Belfry. Uh, and that was one of the games where I think uh, the referee, which you and I both knew real well, Smokey Jones, oh, yeah. threw a flag <laughs> on aiding the runner. Oh, that's right, yeah. On you? Yeah. I think you were rushing for a first down. Yes. Uh, yeah. Like you needed like fourth and two or something. Right. And it like, <laughs> you still won by a zillion. But mm-hmm. I remember that night, Tennessee showed up in an orange limo. That's
2: right. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, a lot of, uh, you know, like you said, you know, a lot of people there love Kentucky and they're diehard, and some people like Tennessee. So, a lot of people were just kind of giving Coach Fulmer a hard time when he showed up in the big orange limousine and, you know, wearing all the Tennessee bright orange <laughs> jackets and all that stuff. So, it was just a crazy time. You know, I remember, um, you know, especially my senior year, I would come out of, the, you know, class and there would say somebody's here to see. would be some coaches, you know, visiting. It would be Steve Spurrier or Joe Paterno or Lou Holtz or whoever it would be that would be down there. And, uh, you know, it was just, uh, I mean, just kind of surreal for a kid growing up in eastern Kentucky to see all these famous, you know, college football coaches in your school and in your house and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty surreal.
0: This one particular game, uh, Bill Curry came up. Yeah. And it was the weekend of the Mary Breckenridge Festival. Uh uh, You know, that's very popular up there. And they had an arts and crafts show in the gymnasium, Uh which was named, I believe, after Richard Nixon. It is, yes. Yes. Uh And and he went in and he was, you know, doing what a recruiter does, sort of like a a pie and bake supper where you have to buy something make everybody know you're you're all in and everything. And he went and bought a whooping stick. A whooping stick. Now, what is a whooping stick? I hope you know, cause I, I don't, don't know. No, I didn't know that it, story. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's just a big long stick, huh? And it you, you can almost use it as a walking cane. Oh, okay, yeah. And it's sort of knotted like a snake. Like I got you. Yeah,
2: I know what you're but talking. But anyway, about he that.
0: bought three of them, and actually, bottom him walked out, I was thinking, I've seen some recruiting stunts, but I, I don't think buying three whooping sticks <laughs> would impress anyone. No,
2: I don't <laughs> think so. No, I think everybody's probably wondering what he was doing. What?
0: What? How difficult was it growing up? like you said, Tennessee winning championships and everything. Mm-hmm. And I think you were uh, a year behind Pete, Pete, uh, Peyton Manning. Uh-huh. Uh, if you'd gone there, you'd been one year behind him, right?
2: Yeah, you know, I could have redshirted a year, um, you know, and that kind of thing just sat behind him. And, you know, my my thought was obviously he was going to come out after his junior year, but he ended up staying, you know, playing a senior season. So I it ended up working out perfect for me because – you know, I went to Kentucky, obviously, and then Peyton is the number one pick in the draft in '98, and I follow him in 1999, and you know, we're just kind of chasing each other on a, on that career path, and uh, you know, so it, but it's uh, you know, Tennessee, you know, they end up winning the national championship in uh, in '98, as soon as Peyton Which, left with T Martin, yeah, yes, yeah, so it was uh, so
0: so uh, we'll jump around here a little bit. So thinking of that. Did that make it easier for you to leave after your junior at Kentucky because he stayed for a senior year and didn't get it? Yeah. And yeah. if you stayed for a senior, that would be a big reason.
2: Yeah, you know, I wanted to stay. Honestly, okay. I really did um, because I was having so much fun, you know, playing at Kentucky and, you know, Coach Mummy and Coach Leach. And we were just – I mean, it was just uh, an exciting brand of football. The fans were so excited to watch us play every Saturday. And it was I was just really loving, loving playing here. But the reason I, I came out after my junior year, well, obviously, one, because I knew I was going to, you know, be a top two or three pick at worst. And, you know, and the, the biggest reason is all five of my offensive linemen were seniors. Uh, Craig Yeast was a senior. And so those guys were all, you know, a year ahead of me. And I was coming in – I'll be breaking in a brand new team. And I thought, well, you know, I could only go down from here. If I come back and I have a little bit of a down year, maybe i fall to a mid-first rounder or second rounder. So I just didn't want to hurt my draft status. And I knew that, uh, you know, it was the right time for me to come out.
0: How many official visits did you – how many schools did you officially visit? Anybody other than Kentucky and Tennessee? Uh,
2: yes, uh, Penn State and Ohio State. Um, where else did I go? Uh, Auburn. Looked at Auburn. Um, I went to and in Florida came in, I I got interested in Florida late. Um, I didn't go on a visit down there, but, uh, really got to talking to coach Spurrier a lot. But at that time they had, they had so many quarterbacks on the roster at that time. It was Danny Warfel and all, all those guys. And, um, they, they had a ton of quarterbacks and, um, you know, so I really – I I wanted to play in the SEC. I thought that was, you know, it was either going to be – you know, Tennessee was really the only thing that I was really focused on at the time. And then Ohio State was interesting, you know, just because it's such a, you know, major, you know, program and they were winning so many games and stuff. So
0: Tell, tell me, uh, thinking back, when you left Penn State on your official visit, what was your thinking at the moment?
2: I just thought it was uh, such an impressive place. You know, you know obviously, um, you know, just, you know, tradition that they had. Coach Paterno was just uh, – you know, one of those guys that you just have instant respect for when you walk in the room with him. Um, but just and seeing,
0: ironically, that was the last game you played, and was against him.
2: It was. That's right. Yeah, it sure was. But um, you know, I, that, I was interested in in, uh, in Penn State for sure. Curry Collins, you know, was there a few years before me um, you know, coming out, so I watched him play and had so much success and winning bowl games and being a high draft pick. So. Um, it was just uh, you know it felt like uh, you know a, a major you know major step up and you know a great opportunity you know nice road to get to the NFL from there.
0: Ohio State when mm-hmm. you went to the horseshoe, yeah. What was your thinking when you left there that day?
2: Uh, just um, you know, just it, it was just a, you know a huge place. You know, I just remember thinking you know these fans are super intense. I thought Kentucky basketball fans were intense, but Ohio State football fans are just as intense. I mean, they love football in Ohio. Um, you know it's um it, it was just cool to see you know those kind those kind of places and they had so many great players you know i think Eddie george had just won the heisman trophy and you know all the, all those guys they put into the league year in and year out so it was just uh, it was just uh, impressive to be around that uh, you know university and get to see some of the stuff and you know be around some of the players And auburn uh auburn was uh you know they were they were uh um, you know, it was, it was Coach Bowden, really, that I was interested in. Because and he, he had actually the ball. been
0: here one year back in 90. That,
2: yeah, that's right. And he was kind of throwing the ball a little bit because, yes. you know, back then, you know, SEC schools were as a power conference, everybody just, you know, was running the football. Um, you know, even Tennessee at the time, they weren't throwing it that much. You know, they were more of a, you know, just running the ball and, you know, play action passing, the kind of basic stuff. But Auburn was kind of kind of on the trend of, you know, opening up offenses and, you know, was kind of spreading it around and throwing it a little bit. So, uh, I was definitely interested in uh, you know in them as well, but uh, you know just you know it's tough on a kid. You know you're you know 18 year old kid trying to make a decision like that. It's going to you know impact the rest of your life. And I just trusted you know the people around. My brother helped a lot, you know, and you know the evaluation process and all. It's you were going to
0: be within three or four hours of home in case you needed to run home.
2: Yeah, yeah, probably so. Yeah, probably so. And then um, I actually looked at a couple. I didn't take the visits out there, but was interested in a couple. You know, USC and UCLA were recruiting me really hard and. My dad put my dad was like, No, you know, we're not we're not going out west. So yeah, I knew it was gonna be, you know, close close to home.
0: The uh your your senior season in high school broke all kinds of records. You yeah. standing room only, the the, the Lashley County guys sold more uh steaks up there on the side of a oh, hill yeah. than there were cows in <laughs> Kentucky. That's right.
2: You know, that that year was just um it was just crazy, you know, because it was almost like we were uh, – you know, we, we, we were just such – you know, my name had gotten really big at that point. And, you know, so everybody wanted to come and watch us play. And um, we really weren't nearly as good my senior year as we were my junior year. My junior year we were undefeated. You know, we were number one in the state all year. And we ended up losing the state semifinal game. But um, everybody graduated. I was, I was a junior and everybody else was a senior. So I was brought back a brand-new team my senior year. But we were still winning games and putting up big numbers. But that year was um, – just like you said, like it seemed like every pass I threw was a new national record and a new record and a new this and that, and then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger, and um, you know the crowds got bigger. We played our first game that year here in Lexington, and we played uh, Fort, yeah, up, yeah, and we played Fort Thomas Highlands, yes. and you know they were they were big favorites. Like I said, you know we're a mountain team, and you know they're you know I think you know they're always you know one of the top teams in the state, and we came down here and there were probably fifteen twenty thousand people at the game, and we ended up beating them in like a shootout. It was like forty four to forty two, and I Think um, you know I had over three hundred passing, maybe like one hundred and seventy-five rushing, and had an interception at the end of the game on defense to to seal the game as uh, Highlands was driving down. Um, so just just those, uh, there were so many moments that year, just um, you know that I'll remember forever. It's just a, you know it's just a, you know a special season.
0: Uh, your junior year, you had that great basketball season. Yeah. And you came back and it uh, seemed to me like you were hurt a little bit in the basketball part of your senior year.
2: I was. Uh, I led the state in scoring my junior year. I was averaging 37 points a game. Um, had a 60-point game. Had uh, many 50-point games. Um, You know, so I was just, you know, really, you know, got runner-up for Mr. Basketball that year. I kind of felt like I should have won it. You know, I thought I had a pretty good year. But um, my senior year I had an ankle injury, a really bad ankle injury. And uh, I was kind of hurt coming off, you know, from football. And uh, then I I hurt my ankle early in the season, and I was just never right. But I think I averaged like 28 or 29 that year. But, you know, obviously it was way down from my junior year.
0: It it seemed like some people in the basketball part of the state uh, didn't want to give you hardly – credit because you were already getting all this fanfare for football (laughs) i know this guy can't be that good in both sports
2: it was frustrating because like i told you earlier i I considered myself a basketball player who happened to you know be able to throw a ball you know i I, who could play football a little bit but i was a basketball you know i'm every kid in kentucky they think you know they want to be a basketball i thought i wanted to be rex chapman that's who my idol was and you know, I had uh, I wore a Rex Chapman shirt everywhere when I was a kid, and you know would follow everything Rex did, and I wanted to I wanted to be Rex, and that's who uh you know he, he was kind of my guy. Well, you
0: were you were a little bit like Rex. You had to flair for the uh, drama. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When you finally made your decision, you didn't make it uh, at school in Lacey County. You had to have a, <laughs> a press conference at the pres- Radisson.
2: Uh, they have a Kentucky actually, Louisville game. Actually.
0: <laughs> People were leaving Rupp Arena before the game to run over there for a noon press conference.
2: That's right, and it was a big game too. It was Kentucky Louisville. Kentucky Louisville. Yeah, and um,
0: and five minutes of the first half during the game that was on CBS. Uh-huh. CBS wasn't talking about basketball. Right, we're talking about this kid that went. For kentucky football
2: yeah you know kentucky just you know they had never gotten the number one recruit in the country before in football and you know i think it was just um you know people couldn't some people couldn't believe why that I, you know from people outside of the state couldn't believe why that you know i had an opportunity to play at any school i wanted that i would go to a team that won one game last year you know it just didn't make much you know and they were running the option and obviously i'm not an option quarterback just didn't make a lot of sense and they were right probably it didn't make a lot of sense but um you know, some things just have a way of working themselves out. And um, you know, once I got here and um Coach Curry and his staff got fired and here comes, you know, Hal Mummy and Mike Leach and they put in a system for me and, and it just kinda took off.
0: When when you made the announcement at the Radisson, had you uh, did the coaches already know where you were going or not?
2: Uh I don't think so. I, I I it's been so long ago. Yeah. I don't I don't honestly remember but I I think it was uh, I didn't want anyone to know as best I can remember my brother and my my parents knew obviously but um you know, I came on stage and put the U.K. hat on and, and that kind of thing. And it, How, was, it was standing room only in that ballroom. Yeah. And it was – I remember that. I had to – I remember being more nervous to get up and, and speak. and You know, you know an Eastern mm-hmm. Kentucky kid. When I used to get up and speaking in front of hundreds of people and, you know, having to get up and, and give that, uh, you know, press conference and talk and, and uh, tell people where I'm going to go play college ball. And the whole room just goes crazy. And it was uh, just an awesome day, one I'll, I'll always remember.
0: And so, during the recruiting your senior year – you, I'm sure, were made well aware by rival coaches' stuff that the new offensive coordinator that Kentucky had brought on the year before in 95, yep. Elliot uselag from Colorado. Right. I think Bill McCartney had just retired. Uh-huh. He was out of a job. Um, Curry allegedly at the time called and said, hey, I need an offensive coordinator. Uh, help me out. Yeah. He said, I got just a guy. But you got to turn everything over to him. Yeah, and even the fans in '95 did not like the offense. No, Kentucky was running. How, did Did you discuss that any with Curry? Or? Oh yeah,
2: yeah. That was uh, that was really the only thing I was concerned about. Honestly, I wasn't concerned. I, I felt like I was, if I was in the right system that I could play and play well no matter. You know, if Kentucky won one game the year before or not, I thought I could go and, and you know throw the ball around and make plays. But uh, my biggest concern was, you know, I'm not coming there to run the option, and I, you know that's not who I am. I'm leading passer in the history of high school football. I'm not coming there to to run that system. So if you guys are willing to change things around, then I'll be willing to you know play there. And they, of course, told me, of course, we're gonna we're gonna spread it out. We're gonna change everything. We're gonna we're gonna do this, do that. The first play we put in when I get to training camp is the option. <laughs> and I remember after practice I went home and or back to my dorm and I called my dad and I said we're in trouble. I go we're running the option first play. That's the first thing we're the first thing we're putting in an in installation in the offense is is the option.
0: So, uh, the starting quarterback was a veteran Billy Jack Haskins. Yeah, yep. who had come there. The first game of the year that year you got beat thirty eight to fourteen by Louisville, uh-huh. which I, I guess you you didn't expect to start that game. No. out. but no. then the second game you go to Cincinnati uh-huh. and. You're favored by a couple of touchdowns, and you get waxed 24-3. to 3. Oh, yeah. And you're seeing old Tim Couch.
2: Right, yeah, I hadn't played – any- well, I threw a touchdown against Louisville late in the game. Yeah. They put me in, and, you know, the game was already over. Yeah. But I threw a touchdown late in that game. But Cincinnati, I don't think I even played in that one.
0: And yeah. all of a sudden, the fans are howling. Yeah. You come home, and you play Indiana. You win three to nothing, but there's nothing to cheer about for the offense.
2: No, I don't think I played in that one either, did I? And I no, 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 you
0: didn't play in it. And no. then all of a sudden, the wise men open. Supposedly, <laughs> Tim Couch will be under a lot less pressure if he's not starting at home. Oh, yeah. He's starting on the road to games where they're not expected to win and a complete disaster.
2: I mean, we're playing Florida on the road in 96. That's the year they won yeah. the national championship, and Danny Warford was the Heisman <laughs> Trophy winner. They were – Unbelievable. I mean, it's the best team that I ever played against in college. And um, well, I don't think we crossed midfield. And, you know, I'm out there running the option against these guys. I'm, I'm, I may have thrown six pass, five or six passes or something. I mean, it was brutal. Um, yeah, that you, was. Uh, you,
0: you may not remember this, but I do because I was at the game and going into the locker room after the game at, at Gainesville. The visitors' locker room is like there are at most SEC schools. You walk through mud and dirt. Yeah. And you go in into four concrete walls, and that's it.
2: That's it. Yeah.
0: And as you were going in there, I remember you was like hollering at the quarterbacks, and he pulled you guys aside and pulled you out near a fence outside the locker room, and I never heard a verbal trashing like that in all my life. Yeah, I don't remember. And a but couple, I, I believe, a couple yeah. of the quarterbacks were literally in tears going in.
2: He was. Uh he was like that you know i've seen him get after guys in the locker room that i'd never seen or or you know before that or after that ever from a coach getting after players and you know sometimes he would get uh you know kind of physical with guys you know he would get you know up in their face and kind of get kind of pushy and shoving and, you know he got on some of our offensive linemen at times and uh you know it got kind of scary in the locker room that they were going to go at it but um he, then, was, he was just like that. You know, that's the way he was. And, um, you know, it's just you know for me, it's hard to play for, in, under that type of pressure. You know, it's hard enough to play the position of quarterback anyway. Your mind's going a million places, and the game's flying all over the place. And, uh, you know, to have somebody screaming and yelling at you at the same time, it's just uh, – it makes it even that much more difficult, I think.
0: Your next week, you travel to Tuscaloosa play Alabama.
2: Right. Yeah.
0: And you're led to believe you're going to start, and right before the game, you're told you're not going to start.
2: Correct, and he said uh, that, and I said, "Well, why are we saying I'm not going to start?" And he said, "We're going to say you have an elbow injury." So I made sure that I was on the sideline. I probably threw 200 passes on the sideline that day just to make sure that everyone that everyone <laughs> knew the real story that my arm was not hurting. No. And,
0: and, and pretty much the rest of the year was in that mode.
2: Yeah, you know, then I think, I don't remember which game it was. He, you know, he got fired, you know, a couple of games after that, I'm sure. You know, I think it was like, mid, was it like midway through, it, right? It towards? was
0: It was after the LSU game. Yes. And what Sim had done, he did it at a point in time where even if he won every game, he wouldn't have a winning year. He right. won in six. Yeah. So the most you could feel. And then suddenly they did win three games in a row.
2: Well, yeah, we did. I think we ended up beating, I know we beat Vanderbilt. Uh, did we be Georgia, Georgia, too? Georgia yeah. Mississippi
0: State, and Vandy? That's right, yeah. And then lost to Tennessee.
2: And lost to Tennessee, yep.
0: Uh, knowing that he was gone, um, there had to be a lot of things in your mind. Okay, he's gone. Elliot's gone. But mm-hmm. who are they going to bring in?
2: That was the thing. Um, you know, I was, uh, and I was gone too. I told my brother, and my brother, uh, you know, I, I can say it now. You know, you know my brother called Philip Fulmer and said, "We're coming." You know, we're just we're no question about it. Just get through this year, and we'll be back. You know, come down there, red shirt under Peyton and you know, and have two years to play. So, um, you know, that, that that was the plan, and and then uh, you know, see him got involved, and then see him, you know,
0: see him being the athletic director, being the yeah. athletic
2: director. He he called me in, and he said, uh, I know you're thinking about transferring and all this and that. He said, um, I'm going to ask you if you'll just go through this process with me, and we're going to find a coach that. Um, Suits your skill sets if you'll go through the process, and I said absolutely, you know, I'll go through the process, and you know. And then here he, he's you know, I hear this guy Hal Mummy and uh, from Valdosta well, State. i have never never heard of him before, you know. So I was like, I'm not. That, that made me question it even more.
0: During the process, did you ever hear the name Mike Godfred?
2: Uh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Was he at Pittsburgh? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And uh, as story goes, supposedly they first offered him, and then he had a situation existing at Pittsburgh that wasn't gonna play too well.
2: Is that right? Yeah. So they
0: it's... sort of push him aside and I I believe if I remember right, uh the president, I guess was Dr. Withington. Mm, um I think so, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It told him to bring me two names. Uh huh. And we'll pick one of the two. So he brings Mike Godfrey, former coach. Uh huh, you know, been successful at Cincinnati, Kansas, Pittsburgh. Yeah. And this guy named How Mummy <laughs> from Valdosta State, like you. Yeah. What country's that from?
2: Yeah, I'd never you heard i never heard of And it. Yeah. so
0: when this came out, there was a person on the athletics ward and went Dr. Weton and said, Hey, you need to look at this guy's record. Because he actually called me, Mike God called me and told me that he'd been hired the next day. Is that right? He called yeah. him back and says he lost a job and he blamed it on a current assistant at UK at the time. But anyway, all of a sudden, Sam said, uh, "Uh, you know," and Doctor Wayne said, "Hey, you gave me two names, that and that. You go offer it to town mommy."
2: Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> yeah. Did did were were you a privy, or did you have any inside knowledge before it was made official? That's that's who they were. I didn't know.
2: No, I'd i been hearing the name Hal Mummy. so I started doing some research on who this guy was, and, uh, you know, looked back at his uh, career, you know, at Iowa Wesleyan, where he got started, and, you know, then Valdosta State, and I, I just saw wherever he went, that, you know, he was scoring a lot of points, and he was going <laughs> for, you know, a lot of touchdowns, and I'm like, all right, this may be interesting, but I don't know, you know, Valdosta State, will that offense really work in the SEC? Can we really, you know, play that style of ball? And, you know, I think that was the biggest question about Hal and Mike were, you know, when they got here you know, obviously no one knew who they were yet, but um they just uh, you know, people really questioned whether you could do that kind of thing in, in the SEC and well, still you know, not get the, your quarterback killed.
0: <laughs> one of the things, uh looking back at it that sort of had to please you is he was going to do something that nobody else would do, and that would be give you an extra shot on fourth down if it wasn't any more than twenty yards. <laughs> he didn't believe in
2: punting. <laughs> yeah, he Of course, so you wasn't punting.
0: worried about the defense either, were you?
2: He would tell them to let them score. Sometimes, you know, we we would play these teams, and um, and they would try to you know keep the ball from us. You know, running you know three or four yards of play, and just trying to keep our offense off the field. And Hal would yell out there, "Let them score." Well, I mean, we just wanted to get in a shootout, you know what I mean? Because we knew we, when we got it, we were going to go score, and we were going to score. We wanted to uh, pick up the pace of the game. and um, So, yeah, he was – you know, he came out with a towel around his neck, and we're listening to Jimmy Buffett. And, you know, and I'm listen- I am mean, I just came from Curry and Usalak, who were the extreme opposite of Hal and Mike Leach. You know what I mean? So, I'm just like, nah, I'm not sure what to think, you know. And, but I-, I believed in those guys from day one for some reason. We just had such a connection,
0: and, uh, and we made it happen. Being the ultimate – riverboat gambler at the twilight of his career here. He's playing in the uh, uh, music city bowl uh-huh. and literally orders the defense to lay down and let the other team score with oh, yeah. a minute to go. Yeah. And people were going bananas. There was one guy in the end zone and he'd had him a couple of drinks and you could see the ball out of back his pocket. And when they lay down are they're, they're down one. Yeah. They're going to run the clock out a minute to go. They don't yeah. have to score. Uh-huh the only chance you got is getting the ball back down so to eight. That's the only chance you got. You got. Yeah. So they lay down and this guy turns around and he looks around and he says, fellas, did I see what I thought I just saw there? <laughs> yeah. He said, yeah, and he said, I'm out of here. Yeah. But it did give him a shot. Give the, him a shot. The mistake that, uh, I can't remember where it's Flem- uh, Clemson or Florida State. It's one of the two. They should have went for two. Oh, yeah. Well, they shouldn't have even, they should have just took a knee. Yeah. They shouldn't even try it. Right. But anyway, that that, that was how mummy. So, how gets here? And right out of the gate, things happen.
2: Yeah, you know, um, yeah, we're playing Louisville, first game of the season. And, you know, like I said, we got blown out by them uh, la- the year before. And,
0: and that and, is your second career start.
2: Yes, yeah, this is my second career start. And, um, you know, everybody's talking about this offense, you know, what we're going to do, how we're going to throw it 50 times a game. And there's a lot of people skeptical, but, you know, everybody kind of wants to come and see and, you know, come and watch. And I just remember we took the field. Um, and, and we went right down the field. It was boom, 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 boom. I hit a few passes, and I threw a touchdown in the corner of the end zone to Lance Mickelson, and I think everybody just kind of looked around. Like, you could just hear the stadium like, oh, my, this is going to work. Like, these guys just – and we just – you know, we got all over Louisville that day, and, um, you know, I had a big day. And it just uh, – you know, it, it worked from the start. You know, we, uh, we hit the ground running with that offense for sure. You,
0: you lost to uh, Mississippi State by touchdown, and yeah. then you went to Indiana. Yeah. I think you liked Indiana.
2: Threw seven touchdowns against Indiana that day, yeah. And, um, uh, you yeah, know, we got after them. Um The Mississippi State game, that was one we should have won. We were up 14 to nothing or so in that game and ended up losing it. Uh, but Indiana, um, we got all over them. I think, you know, I don't remember the final, but we 49 to 7. 49 to 7, yeah. Yeah, we were all over them. And then, um uh and where where we come after Indiana? We we came back. You came to uh, Florida, uh, right?
0: Played Florida, yeah. Fifty five to twenty eight.
2: Yes. Uh, came
0: but, back to earth a little bit. It,
2: yeah, but that was uh, that was actually one of those games that were. Um, uh, it was a confidence builder, especially for me because – You know, making you doing my first, it against a good team. Yeah, making my first start against those guys the year before and didn't cross midfield. And I was thinking, I don't know if I could play against these guys. And then the next year I th- in that game, I think I, thrown, I threw for 350, 400 yards and put up a, you know, some big numbers. And I was like, okay, we can do this against Florida. Then I felt like we could do it against anybody. And then, you know, later on that year, we we do beat out we beat Alabama. You well, know? the
0: very next game, yeah, you play a team you hadn't beaten in seventy five years. That's Although right. you didn't play them every year, right? But you still hadn't beaten them in seventy five years. Mm-hmm. And there have been probably bigger games than that at Commonwealth Stadium, mm-hmm. but there was no bigger to this day than the fourth quarter and the overtime of that game. Yeah, uh, it stacks up with any of them and. The inning, I think, you got into overtime, and I think you stopped Alabama, uh, either intercepted a, or it a was pass a fumble. or fumbled. Fumble. fumble, yeah. And then yeah, we got couch to... over the middle of the yeast, and yeah, they they stormed the field. They did, yeah. We we had the ball.
2: I think it was a third and eight, and um, we called timeout, and Craig and I or Hal and I are over there talking on the sideline about what play we want to run. And here comes Craig, you know, running in, jumping in the middle of both of us, that little squeaky voice. Hey, man, I'm open, I'm open. You know, he's always open. And uh, Hal and I are just kind of, you know, whatever. We're trying to figure out. And he's like, man, I'm telling you, if you call this play, uh, I can win on the backside on a 16-yard in route. And um, Hal looked at me and I was like, he's right. When we get in that formation, they're playing this coverage and it's one-on-one. I mean, I can hit him for a first down. I didn't know he was going to score, obviously. uh, But we can get a first down. And uh, he said, go run it. And we walked out there, and uh, I looked at Craig. I looked at the formation, looked at the defense. They were in exactly the coverage that we were expecting. I looked over at Craig and kind of gave him a nod, and we went, and he caught it, and uh, he slipped a tackle. And, uh, you know, next thing – and I wasn't – it, it hit me so fast because I was just expecting a first down, you know, and the game's still going to go on. But he, when he broke that tackle, and he's, uh, he's in the end zone, and I look up, and the whole stadium is coming down on the field with us. Like, everybody's on the field. And it was um, – it just happened so quick, and it was uh, – you know, that, so that's was, one of those games that, you know, as a college quarterback that you literally go to college to, you know, to live out. You know, one of those games where you throw a touchdown to beat Alabama in overtime and, and the fans rush the field and tear down the goalpost. It was uh, an awesome moment. You know, it Was, just, was that uh, your
0: most exciting moment on that field?
2: Um, yeah, probably so. Uh, it's hard to top that one. You know, it, it's really hard to top that one. Um, Especially, you know, definitely on that field. You know, I think when we beat LSU on the road, though, that was uh, another one of those games that was just, um, and that was the next year. But uh, you know, beating LSU on the road, a night game in Death Valley. You know, they just, you know, they don't lose very often there. And um, you know, the way we won that game on a last-second field goal, too, that was uh, one of those moments that was right up there with the Alabama game. Uh,
0: you ended that season, season with your final final duel with Peyton Manning. Yeah. At Commonwealth Stadium, I think the total yardage was like. Over 1,200? 12
2: something yeah. Peyton, Peyton threw for just over five, and I threw for right at 500. And, I mean, it was back and forth there for a minute. We couldn't stop him. They couldn't stop us. And, and it and,
0: was more great offense than just a lousy defense. Oh, it was.
2: I mean, it was two number one picks in the draft going at it. You know, I mean, we were just – and we were both on fire, too. I mean, it was – he was playing at the top of his game. I was playing at the top of mine. I was only a sophomore at the time. You know, he was a senior. Mm-hmm. Um you know, but um, but I was going at it, um, you know, trying to keep up with him because I knew every time he touched it he was going to score because they were so talented too. And we really weren't that great on defense that year. And, um, you know, so he was just picking us apart. So, uh, you know, we turned the ball over a couple of times late in the game where the, the score kind of got out of hand. But it was it was back and forth for, for a long, long time in that game.
0: From that game on, particularly that game, because it was nationally televised, uh, two top quarterbacks in the country, Everybody knew next year was going to be the year. Yeah. Everything coming back. Uh, almost from the get-go, the early rankings of college quarterbacks, the uh, 1999 draft was going to be the greatest draft ever of yeah. quarterbacks. There since 83.
2: Since, since Marino yeah. and Elway and Kelly yes. and those guys, yeah.
0: And all, all of a sudden, you were in that elite circle of three
2: mm-hmm.
0: quarterbacks. Four, if you want to count Ricky Williams. Being a running back, but yeah. the three quarterbacks, right? Uh, did that start the process of you having to think maybe this is going to be my last year?
2: Yeah, probably so. I really, you know, didn't even think about it up until that point. Um, you know, then um, you know, just I think watching Peyton have the success that he had, you know, especially you know going into his rookie season and being number one pick, and you know, and he turned the ball over a lot, but he was throwing a lot of touchdowns and starting right away in the NFL and. That made me think, you know, maybe I could be there after this year. You know, I've got an opportunity if I can, you know, play up to the level that I played last year and even, you know, you know, take another step up that I've got an opportunity to be on that level and be there very soon. And, you know, like you said, all the, you know, everybody, you know, all the draft experts and all those people had me projected, you know, as a, you know, top ten pick before the season even started. Um, You know, coming off what I did as a sophomore, um, I think what I threw 37 touchdowns as a sophomore, something like that, 38 maybe. Um, So, coming back, you know, I knew if I had another big year that I was going to put up, you know, the numbers to be worthy of being a a number one pick.
0: And you also knew at that time, at that very moment, that no matter what happened during the season, that Cleveland Browns was going to have the number one pick as an expansion team. I did,
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, and at the time, you know, obviously, you know, twenty years tells you a lot of different things. But um, at the time, that's where I wanted to be because yeah. I mean, who doesn't want to play for the Browns? I mean, that's such a storied franchise, you know. I mean, and they're coming back into the league to be the face of that new franchise, to be the first player ever picked for yeah. those, uh, for a new franchise. It's just. But uh, is
0: that the price of being so young? You don't understand that with yeah. all of that tradition. Yeah. You're still starting at square one.
2: Yeah, you know, I think it's just you know being young, being a competitor, and you know you you just, I mean, you want to be the top pick and, you know, and, and I thought, you know, obviously we're going to build it the right way. Carmen policy's there. He's been at San Francisco, Dwight Clark's there. Uh, you know, it, we just got, to, you know, it just seemed like it was going to be set up for success. And, um, uh, you know, it is, uh, it's just so hard to start an organization, you know, especially with a rookie quarterback. We had a first year head coach. My best receiver was a rookie. I mean, we were just young kids out there, you know, and I came out of school a year early. Um, just make trying to make plays and trying to trying to figure out how to win in the NFL, and it was a, it was a long process. But um, you know, I think we we certainly you know we were on the right track. We we made the playoffs my fourth year, and it's the only time the Browns have ever been to the playoffs since they've been back as a franchise. So definitely very proud
0: of that. We get into 1998. You open up on the road to a sparkling new Papa John Stadium in Louisville. Oh yeah. And you going to and if memory serves me correctly, did did they not score first in that game?
2: I can't remember. I think, I'm not sure. I, th-
0: I think they scored first and was marching a second time.
2: <laughs> they they were upset and, about the year before. You know, Chris Redman was their quarterback yeah, think, and he was a heck of a yeah. player. So.
0: And and sort of the the Red Sea opened for you. Yeah, yeah. Through, I mean, uh, all of a sudden, just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, I got hot. And it only got re- respectable in the fourth quarter when. How did what Bobby Petrino doesn't do these days. He started playing everybody.
2: Yeah, yeah, we uh, we got after him. I threw seven touchdowns in that game as well, and I uh, felt like I could have thrown at least ten, you know, and Hal pulled me out of that game, and we put up, what was it, 68 points we put up on him? 68-34. 68, 34. Si- 68 to the- I think
0: it was 68-14. to 14 It point. was
2: bad, yeah, and then he pulled everybody out. But um, um I remember Craig, was, Craig had a few touchdowns that day. James Whalen had a long one. Um, it was yeah. It was just one of those things where we we were just we were clicking. We were on fire, and the, uh, the offense was really hitting on all cylinders that day.
0: You came back and beat Eastern. Mm-hmm. You beat Indiana. Yep. Uh, you went to Florida again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Fifty-one to thirty-five, closer than what the score indicated. That,
2: oh, absolutely. That game was. Uh, that game may have been one of the best games we had offensively, especially Yeast. Yeast had over maybe 400 total yards. So he ran the opening kickoff back 100 yards, then I threw him a 99-yard touchdown pass, and then I threw him a 75 or 80-yard touchdown pass. I mean, he was just going crazy. We were putting up big numbers and then uh, we just couldn't stop them at the end of the day. They they, they end up running away from us.
0: One of your toughest losses that year in your career here was a really good Arkansas team that oh, finished yeah. 9 and 3. Yeah. They weren't expected to be that good, but they were. Yeah. And you lost twenty-seven to twenty in the Little Rock. Yeah. Had you won that game, you would have been even a higher tier than the Outback
2: Bowl. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. That that game was so frustrating because we we were playing so well and um, just scoring at will. Um, you know that that and we just we let that one get away. We I don't remember how much we were up in that game, but uh, I remember they came back and. We had a chance to go down and win it at the end, and I threw one in the end zone uh, to Kevin Coleman, and you know he wasn't open. I just kind of had to fit one in. You know, maybe he makes a play, maybe he doesn't. It goes right off the, his fingertips and in the end zone, or we would have, you know, end up coming back and winning that one. But that that one was a heartbreaker for sure.
0: Then you came back and had one of your, I'm sure, more satisfying wins in your career. You went to LSU and you won thirty nine to thirty six. Yeah, I, that. And that's a phenomenal place to win. At. Oh
2: man, I, I really did enjoy that win, just as. You know, maybe not as rewarding because it wasn't at home and, you know, the fans didn't rush the field and all that. But that win, going on the road and beating LSU, a ranked team, um, the way we did it, um, you know, last second field goal where, you know, if you remember, uh, we were going to run the clock out and go to overtime. And um, we, we just ran the ball up the middle, two plays in a row, and Hal calls timeout. And we're on like our own 20-yard line here. And uh, we get over to the sideline, and Hal <laughs> starts – I can see his wheel spinning, right? You know, and we're just playing for overtime. We're going to run the clock out and go to overtime and, and try to win it there. But um, we get to the sideline, he goes, what do you think about a, if we fake that little run and run a reverse around the other side? I go, right now? I said it's third and nine with 20 or 30, whatever, 45 seconds to go or whatever it was. He goes. I think it'll work. I said, Let's do it. So we, we go out there and I fake a handoff, a real hard sell fake, and everybody kind of piles in on the back on the running back. And here comes Quentin McCord around the backside, and I flip it to him. And he goes about sixty yards. And then the next we get up and uh, we get a timeout. And then um, you know I hit Jimmy Haley on an out route, puts us in field goal range. And now there's three seconds left. And here we go. We kick a field goal and win the game. And I mean, it was just uh, that's how that's, that's the way that's the way his, his mind worked.
0: You. Uh Play Vanderbilt, and then you have a real tragic situation that, to this day, we don't know how the Outback Bowl would have come.
2: Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was the hardest day of my uh, you know of, of my young life for sure. Um, it was my uh, it was gonna be my last game at that point. I pretty much knew it was my last game because I'd had a big season. I knew I was leaving, so I had all my friends and family in for that Vanderbilt game, and. I had a huge game that game, you know, I think I, I don't know how many yards I had, maybe almost 500 in that game, and, um, you know, it was just really, you know, I think I broke some kind of record that game, completion percentage or something like
0: that. 59-21 final score.
2: Yeah, yeah, so, uh, and, and I knew that was going to be my last game in Commonwealth, and I wanted to go out, you know, with a bang, and and it went exactly the way I wanted it to, uh, but soon after, you know, that, that night, um, I'm in bed, and I get a phone call, and uh, it was one of my other friends, and he said, um, Probably like three or four in the morning, and he said, um, "He said you need to you need to get up and go to the hospital. There's been an accident. Um, Jason Watts, who was my center on the team, was driving the truck. And then my childhood best friend from kindergarten all the way through, his name was Scott Brock. He was in the car too because you know he'd become friends with my friends here at UK and stuff. And then another one of my teammates, Artie Steinmetz, was in the car too, and um, both of them were killed. Jason ended up living." um, and, and, uh, and, pulling through. But, um, it was just, you know, it was such a horrible, horrible experience. And I just remember the next day, uh, I got up and drove home and went to, cause you know, my, my friend and I, we grew up right down the street from each other. And so his mom and dad thought I was like a son to them. So I would walk in their house, you know, just stay the night. He would stay the night at my house all the time. And I can remember when I pulled up and she saw my car, I could hear her screaming from inside the house. And, um, it was uh, one of the hardest hardest walks I've ever had to make going into that house and talking to his mom and dad. It was it was a brutal brutal day, but um, and, you know, and it, it
0: seemed like everybody felt that even when you went to Knoxville.
2: Well, yeah, I, I mean we would been at, we had been at two funerals that week. We really didn't get to practice, and you know we really felt like we had a great chance to beat Tennessee that year. You know we really did, and um, but you know the way we I mean I remember running out on the field there at Needland Stadium, and um, we didn't run, we walked. The whole team just kind of walked out. We were exhausted mentally. Emotionally, physically, I mean, every way possible, we just were done. We, we didn't have anything left in the tank. You know, we just, you know, uh, one teammate was almost passed away. One teammate did. My best friend was killed. We just we just didn't have anything left in the tank. And it was just a very flat performance, as you would expect. Um, but that was disappointing because, you know, we, we just, we, you know, I felt like we had a real good chance to win that one. and um, But then, uh, you know, we got fortunate enough to get a uh, bit to the Outback Bowl.
0: Yeah. Uh, tell me if this is true. This is one of the stories you catch on the fly. But supposedly in in the game against C, once it started, and you got a hundred eight thousand fans there and everything. And, yeah. And uh, the backup quarterback for you
2: uh, was it Dusty Bonner or Matt Mummy was. Uh,
0: no, I'm, I'm, I don't mean the backup quarterback. Backup center. Oh, uh, so Jason Aaron yeah. Daniels.
2: Aaron Daniels. Yep. Uh
0: huh. Is it true? Midway in the first quarter, he turned to you at one time and said, Tim, aren't these fans ever going to calm down? <laughs> I don't know. but Probably.
2: But we couldn't hear. We couldn't communicate. What I mean. yeah. 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 Yeah, it was, it was so loud. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to get up there and change the play. And, you know, we're in the shotgun most of the time. And he can't hear anything. I can't even – I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. And that stadium, the, the noise just really gets trapped, you know, down on the field. And you can you, know, you can scream at the top. You know, it's like going to a concert and standing right by the speakers and trying to talk to somebody. You know, you just can't hear yourself. And, um, yeah, so communication was an issue. But that was his – imagine his, you know, first start. Yeah. The road. He's got some bad boys lined up on that defensive line from Tennessee across from him, too.
0: You had roughly a month to prepare. You're going to the first and only bowl game on New Year's Day yeah. that Kentucky's played in since 1953. That's right, yeah. Yep. Uh, playing Penn State. Yeah. Uh, you're 7-4. and four. You go and you jump out to 14-0 fourteen to nothing in the lead. Yeah, yeah we're at fourteen nothing. And you could almost sense, though, that they were starting to wear down your offensive line, in particular where you had yeah
2: limited depth. Well, yes, for sure. And you know they uh, they had two guys on that defense, um, uh, LeVar Arrington and Courtney Brown. And Courtney ended up being my teammate in Cleveland. He was the number one pick in the draft the year after me. Um, uh, but those guys were just phenomenal, and LeVar Arrington obviously had a great career in the NFL too. Um, but yeah, like you said, they, they ended up wearing us down a little bit. They they hit me a lot in the second half, and I couldn't didn't really have a lot of time to get uh, you know get the ball down the field like we did in the first half, and um, so we ended up losing that one. That, that was a tough one. You know, I definitely wanted to win. You know, my last game, you know, a bowl game and those kind of things. But that um, was great football. They had a great football team that year. They, they, we were, uh, but I thought we you know we should probably we probably should have won that one.
0: What was it like in that locker room in Tampa Bay? Pulling off that blue and white uniform for the last time—it
2: was tough. Um, it was—it was really tough. And uh, you know, I just remember uh, you know talking to my teammates, and you know, just you know, it's just sad when it comes to an end. And you know, I kind of, and everyone knew it was over. I think Hal knew it was over at that point, even though we hadn't really discussed it. I think he just assumed. And you know, we talked a little bit too, um, you know, about you know how good of a run we had had these last two years and those kind of things. And um, but it was just uh, you know, it was an emotional moment. I sat there for a while and you know, just kind of, kind of took it all in. And, you know, then I just remember, uh, you know, after that, my life really, really started to change, you know, making some decisions and, you know, um, talking to my, you know, family about what I was going to do. And, and it's just, uh, you know, life, it's amazing how, you know, quick, you know, I graduated high school in 1996 and I'm the number one pick in the draft in 1999 and how a kid from Eastern Kentucky's life can change in, in a three-year span. It's just, um, you know, it's amazing. It's amazing that, you know, I, I wasn't here for very long. I think I only started 22 games or something like that. I only played, you know, started two years. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot happened in those two years. You know, we had a, you know, a lot of memories and a lot of uh, a lot of great wins and, you know, a lot of great performances and, um, you know, a lot of, played with a lot of great teammates and obviously some coaches who really were trendsetters and Coach Mummy and Coach Leach. And as was uh, just, uh, you know, very thankful for my time at UK. I really enjoyed it.
0: The uh, time you were here, particularly the last year and a half, a lot of things happened that Kentucky still enjoys today. The expansion of the stadium, right. the corporate suites would have never been built. They were actually – weren't ready – before you left, they were being done the year you were senior yeah. or junior your last year here. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there was a rejuvenation in the fan base that yeah. looked like that they were beginning to give up.
2: Yeah. They, you know, I think, you know, as I look back at my career now, it's been whatever, it's been 20 years. 20 and years this year. 20 years, yeah. Um, I think the thing I'm most proud of is that we kind of, um, you know, got the energy back into this program. Because the year before I got here, like I said, it was probably at – You've been around Kentucky football a lot longer than me. It was at one of the all-time lows for sure, you know, under Curry and that staff. And it was – you know, there was just no hope in the fan base. You know, people were bored watching the game. It wasn't – they didn't want to go to the game. We weren't winning any games. And then, um, you know, when we got here and uh, put that air raid offense in and was – you know, we were throwing the ball all over the field. It was just an exciting brand of football to watch. And I think, you know, it ended up, you know – getting some recruits that we probably wouldn't have got to come here. Jared Lorenz and I know for a fact would not have been a Kentucky Wildcat if we didn't put that offense in and he didn't get to grow up watching that and, you know, seeing us have that success and probably Andre Woodson after that. And it just, you know, it just kept, you know, getting, you know, and we've had some, uh, you know, it had a, a large ripple effect, I'll say, from, you know, what we started to, you know, the, the direction the program's headed in. And, you know, now obviously with Coach Stoops here and his staff and what they're doing. And, um, you know, I just uh, I think the future is extremely bright for our, for our football program.
0: Looking back at it, what do you think that Mummy could have done to have helped the defense beyond well, the going forward on 4th and, and 20 from the 24? Yeah,
2: those things for sure. Um, you know, But that's just uh, – I think he just knew you know, personnel-wise that we probably couldn't hold a lot of these teams in the SEC from scoring. So um, he felt like we had to go for it. We, he, we thought we had to score every time we touched it. That was kind of when How and I would talk during the week. We like, well, you know, this game we can be a little more conservative. We don't have to be so aggressive and take so many chances. But, you know, we would play like Tennessee or Florida, um, LSU, those kind of guys were like, we're going to score every time we touch it because they're probably going to. So we, we're going to have to do it. And um, so that's, I think that was probably a little bit of his mindset.
0: Throughout the three years here, particularly the last two, one guy who really wasn't that well known, who is better known than just about everybody today, was Mike. Pirate leech. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Give me a good story. Oh,
2: Lord. Um, Where can I start with Mike? Um, Yeah, he was just – the thing I remember most about Mike, and, you know, I didn't really deal with him a lot when he was here because uh, he had the title of offensive coordinator, but he was not the offensive (laughs) coordinator. He wasn't calling a play. He didn't call – I mean, certainly he was, you know, game planning with Hal and, you know, strategizing Nothing but Hal was calling the plays um but Mike was working with the wide receivers and um you know but I just remember him being so confident when he walked in you know to the building and and he wasn't overwhelmed with you know coming from Valdosta State to being in the SEC and he was just like every dealing I had with him he was just like this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it And, and he was just so sure of himself and that this offense would work at this level and those kind of things and uh, but but yeah, he would get on the receivers would be in the room next to us uh, in the quarterback room, and we could hear him yelling at those guys through the walls. And um, yeah, he would get he would get after them pretty hard and uh, and challenge them and, and those kind of things. But he's just um, you know then he would go on these rants. You know you know he's like he does now. You know I mean you've seen some of these rants he goes on about preparing for marriage and you know well, golfing. He, and he'll, all he'll, he'll
0: talk for two or three minutes and then get to the punchline.
2: Oh yeah, and yeah. it's a
0: punchline that's all that matters when you get through them.
2: Yeah, I mean he would just talk in circles and he's such an intelligent guy you know I think he he got a law degree from Pepperdine
0: that is correct
2: and then he got tired of you know practicing law and said I want to coach football and that's he had no background in football at all and uh you know so he had a terrific
0: uh one hour special on him on 60 minutes a few years ago oh did they I didn't see And they went into all this pirate stuff he was into oh yeah yeah and he had them believing it before it was over
2: yeah for sure and um Uh, he told me one story um he went to New York and um, he just read a Donald Trump's book, and he was walking down the street, and he saw Trump Tower, and he's like, I'm just going to go up and talk to Donald real quick. And this is how his his Mike's mi- mind works. And so he just walks into Trump's office and walks up to the secretary and says, uh, I'm Mike Leach. I'm coach at Texas Tech, and I just want to say hi to uh, Mr. Trump. I just I just uh, read his book, and she's kind of like, do you have an appointment or does that and the other – He's like, no, I just was walking down the street and wanted to pop in. So he actually gets in and talks to Donald Trump. And they become, like, really close friends. And Trump actually did uh, this, you know, way before he was president, obviously. But he actually did the, um, you know, when they introduced the players, the starting lineup on one of the games on ESPN, Trump actually introduced the guys for him. Oh, is that right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And Mike literally just walked up to his office and just said, Mike Leach.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You come up with an idea. I don't know if he's a rich or not, if he copied it from somebody, but you came up with the to make sure your office line gave you prote- good protection. You fed them steaks on oh, Thursday yeah. night. Yeah. Tell me about it.
2: Yeah. At, uh, at uh, Joe Gentry's house, yeah, we would. Uh, Joe was, uh, you know, um, his uh, his wife and my mom are first cousins. Um, you know, so Joe and I have been close in the family and known Joe forever and when well, I got to UK and, uh, you know, I, I, I lived with Joe and, and, you know, lived down in the basement there. He, he built – I had a, you know, bedroom down there and stuff. So, I, um, And then every Thursday night before the – you know, before our home games that uh, we would have um, the offensive line over and the, the crowd – over it's the sort of two gathered. years, it got bigger. And at first, it was just like you know, four. Yeah, I
0: think two or three to coach. I know Mike used to come over.
2: Oh yeah, yeah. So it got word kind of starting to spread around. And then uh, you know, at the, my junior year, it got big. I mean, it was like a big event. And you know, I know you were over there a few times. And um, it just, uh, it just got to be a lot of fun. And uh, all the players really looked forward to it because the food was so good. And Joe would be grilling out steaks. And you know, we'd all just hang out and just kind of bond a little bit. And um, it was, uh, it was a good time.
0: Do you, do you get to spend a lot of time with? Some of the players you played with now, that you're back in Lexington this last ten years or so.
2: Yeah, I see. I see quite a few of the guys. Um, I see Anthony White around quite a bit. Um, Matt Layow, who's was my uh, roommate in college, I see him quite a bit. Um, I don't obviously don't get to see Craig Yeast a lot, but we talk all the time on the phone. He's he's uh, he's off coaching ball and he's in Indianapolis right now. Um, but I see I see a few of the guys. Keo Sanford. I see Keo around every now and then. Um, you know, just randomly see some see some guys. But uh, um, it's it's always fun to to catch up with some old teammates.
0: With Christmas past and then the uh, outback bowl, you start turning your attention to the draft. And you're talking, or your agent is talking to different general managers and everything. And you know, there was quite a bit of competition on who's going to be the number one pick.
2: Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. I mean that draft was strong. I mean, not just the quarterbacks, but it was, uh, I mean, Edron James, champ Bailey, Javon curse. Um, I mean, Torrey Holt. There's, I mean, it was a, was a very talented, uh, group of guys. And, um, but you know, I think most people thought, you know, Cleveland be coming back into the league, they have to start the franchise with a quarterback. You have to get, especially in this draft, because there were so many guys, you know, it was me and Akili Smith, Donovan McNabb, Dante Culpepper, Cade McNown. Uh, I mean, some talented guys. And um, uh, so I think everyone kind of assumed they would go with a quarterback and um, that I was going to be in the running for that. And, um, you know, it was a competition right down to the last couple. Of, I mean, they came to work me out twice after the after the combine. They came well, to, did, to Lexington did, do twice. Do
0: you think it came down to eventually you and Ricky Williams?
2: Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think Ricky Williams and Akili a- a- was in there as well. Yeah. He was in the mix for it. Um, and
0: you can say it now. Yeah. Was everybody trying to avoid the Bengals?
2: uh i was yeah yeah i was you know they just had such a long history of, and then you know, who's, the,
0: who's the good running back that came in right after that that did really good for him for a couple three years that it might have not been as bad as what it appeared at that time i can't remember was it Corey dillon no it was before Corey. um i can't remember nah, i can't remember yeah now yeah, yet. not sure but anyway go, going back to the outback boat uh Tell me your experience. What it was like to be a finalist in the Heisman Trophy? Oh uh,
2: yeah. yeah, that was great. Um, I was. I remember uh, when I lost. You know, I didn't, or I didn't win the Heisman. Uh, Ricky Williams won it that year. I was, you know, just really disappointed. You know, I, I, I was, uh, I really thought I had a great chance. If we would have won a couple more games, I think I probably would have won it. You know, Rick. You know, to to win the actual, to actually win the Heisman. You know, you got to be winning games to. You got to have
0: momentum in the middle of the
2: season. You do, you you know, and uh, you know, I certainly had the numbers to win it. I certainly had the performances, you know, to win it. We just didn't have it. We need. I needed a couple more big victories, and um, and I think I would have won it. But I, I wanted to win it because it's such a legendary award, and it, you know, I wanted to be in that um, that fraternity of guys. And um, you know, who doesn't, you know? I mean, if you're up for that award and you get a chance, but I do remember uh, being very disappointed uh, that I didn't win and. Uh, Coach Mummy, uh, you know, he's always had a way to, you know, put a smile on your face. And he was like, well, you may not have won that one. But the good news is they don't pay you to win the Heisman. They pay you to be the first pick in the draft. And he goes, you're going to win that award. And that's the one you're going to want to win. So, yeah, he kind of changed my thinking on that.
1: Thanks to Tim Couch for joining us on Episode 53 of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's. Part 2 of Oscar's Conversation with Tim Couch will be released in the future, and you can look for that upcoming episode at oscarcombs.com. Also, conversations can be accessed via your mobile device on iTunes and the Google Play Store. Search for at Wildcat News and subscribe. Every time a new episode is released, it's automatically downloaded to your mobile device and ready for your listening enjoyment absolutely free. To follow both Tim Couch and Oscar on Twitter, the Deuce is at Tim Couch TV and Oscars at Wildcat News. I'm Bo Robinson, thanking you for listening to this episode of Conversations with Oscar Combs, presented by Rafferty's and as always, Go Big Blue!